So at this point in the retreat, you've been hearing us give a lot of instructions, a lot of practical instructions on just how to navigate um, being on this particular retreat, but on retreats in general, can pretty much map um, most of what we've said, or maybe all of what we've said um, onto any, any retreat that you would go on. And then we've had this other focus of refuge and how to take refuge, and in particular, how to take refuge at this time. And most of what's been um, pointed out is uh, maybe what not to have refuge in. Um, Nushka gave that beautiful talk last night and um, much of the uh, instructions have included something about um, just noticing. Where, where are we looking? Are we looking outside of ourselves? Are we uh, looking for moments of uh, impermanent happiness to last longer than they will? Are we looking for just the right conditions so that everything will be just so, just perfect? Now, what are we taking refuge in? So um, this evening, I want to touch upon this topic of refuge as well. But I want to bring in this other theme. Um, it's a theme that I think is very alive in people's lives this year and in this moment is my guess. Um, it's also a theme that I think uh, can, can have us looking for refuge. It's, it uh, causes us to start seeking, even when we have this practice and all of these tools and, and ability um, that we go seeking for relief, for safety, for constancy. And so the theme uh, that I want to touch upon this evening is that of loss and grief. And then of course in there is impermanence, which uh, is in a factor in loss and grief. And I want to start there, to start with uh, impermanence and just the simplicity of impermanence, these, these simple moments that um, we're all experiencing here on retreat. We experience them throughout our day in our daily practice, or just moving through our day. You know, it can be... Um, the things that we overlook, they're just so normal. Uh, the, the ending of uh, a time of day, you know, the morning ends, the afternoon ends, and now this change into evening. Uh, it can be just the breath, the ending of a soothing breath, the ending of that out-breath, the ending of the in-breath. It could be the ending, uh, the impermanence of our mind states. Nishka was pointing to that, and, and so was Chaz this morning, today. Um, just our emotions, how um, uh, ever-changing they really are. Our thoughts, constant. There's nothing still and, and constant about 
uh, our, our thoughts. They're constantly moving. Uh, that's the only constant thing about it is that they're in flux. So these things are just so normal. These aren't upsetting. Maybe in a sit where we're hoping all of it would calm down, so maybe kind of throws us a little bit, but they're not that upsetting, just these normal human experiences of impermanence. And we come in contact with them all the time, every day, and certainly within our practice. Um, just within this retreat, all of these practices we've been giving you, part of what we're having you look at is just this changing nature of things. You're seeing it in real time in each moment, how impermanence is just a fact of life. So a part of this uh, practice as a whole is uh, normalizing this particular truth that impermanence is found in everything. That nature is impermanent. It's one of um, the great truths of also just being a human being, that everything about us is impermanent. And so we get to see this in these really simple ways, like looking at the breath, looking at what's going on in our mind. We get to come into close contact with it. Um, we also get to see it in more uh, difficult mind states and difficult body experiences. And we are stretching our ability through this practice to find some okayness with uh, all of it, that it's, that it's constantly changing and that within that instability of life, that there's a place to find ease. There's a place to rest. There's a place where we can know it all and experience it all, but not be thrown by it. This is part of the practice, this is part of what we're cultivating here. So as we find this ease and we, we get better at it and with time, we find refuge within ourselves. We uh, find that even with that instability, when we're not clinging to it needing to be a certain way, but actually in the flow of life, in the flow of experience. Like, this is what's happening. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, I see this clearly. This is what's at play right now in my mind. This is what's being known right now. The more we find a settledness deep within ourselves, in this knowing, we find our refuge. We can find this place of belonging, of settledness, of deep understanding. Even with everything around us, all of life is swirling around. And yet there's this place inside that can witness it all and not be disturbed. So we know on some level, all of us on some level, I know some of you are really new to practice and some of you have been practicing a long time, but you've all had a taste at the very least um, 
that this in this impermanence um, that it's it really is just part of the game. It's part of the deal. But then something happens when that impermanence uh, is experienced as a personal loss. When that impermanence um, touches our heart in some way that scares us. When some kind of loss is felt, uh, even when we've been doing this for a long time, we might find ourselves surprised that it happened. We get caught off guard. We have this idea of how it should be, how we would like it to go, or everything was just so, and then there's some big interruption. Something goes missing. Something gets taken away. Or that's how it feels. There's some empty space where maybe someone used to be in our life. And even with all that Dharma practice, sometimes it feels like all that knowledge and, and capacity and knowing how to be with what's here, it can feel like it's just getting thinner and slipping away. And we go looking for refuge. We go looking for safety and constancy. We look for control. How can I fix this? How can I make this right? So in this past year, there certainly has been a lot of opportunity to experience this loss. And I'm sure many of you have experienced it outside of this particular year, but this has been um, one heck of a year. We find ourselves uh, on this retreat at, I, you know, it's, it's barely at the end of this pretty toxic election. And whomever you were hoping for to be the next president, I, I think we're all feeling that that loss connected with the intense divide that's here in this country. And of course, politically, um, but we've been seeing it play out for a long time. We've also been seeing it play out uh, just in the um, social, uh, racial injustice and the pain that, you know, certainly a lot's been highlighted in this past year. But I think what uh, is being highlighted is this deep ravine. That's kind of how I, I when I visualize what, what it seems to be, it's like this deep ravine of pain that is uh, connected to um, the, the history of, of our country and also just uh, the threads that, that are tied within our own hearts connected to racism and um, our own confusion and ignorance, um, our own pain of experiencing 
racism, experiencing injustice. And so we see these things um, in our own neighborhoods or maybe on the news, um, maybe even within uh, our close, close commu uh, communities and it um, opens that ravine each time and it's so painful. And so we feel that grief and that loss if we're paying attention. And then of course there's COVID on top of it. So it's brought a variety of loss. Maybe it's just the loss of getting to do the things you love, getting to go to the places that you like to go to, the things you probably took for granted before, just your normal routine and how much that's probably changed. Not being able to see the people that you love and, and care about, or maybe not being able to see everybody. Um, having to connect virtually and, and having to navigate that. And then some of you have lost um, people during this time. People have died, lost dear ones, and then having to grieve in this strange way where we can't hold each other. We can't be there in person with each other. And how strange and unfamiliar this is. It's very unfamiliar territory for most. Well, I live in California and just the uh, loss of uh, our wild land here and, and forest and um, the animals inhabiting those areas, people losing lives and property. And uh, with the forest fires, we've had such a um, uh, intense uh, fire season, record-breaking fire season, as you all know. And then others of you from other places in the country experiencing natural disasters and um, just the change in our climate and what, you know, what that's doing and being affected by that and feeling that deep loss. So there's so much in the mix. And I think it was Anushka on the... Um, I think it was in your talk, Anishka, last night, or maybe in the instructions when you said something like, and sometimes it just feels like too much to bear. You know, you feel this way every time the news comes on. I know I would hold my breath <laughs> when it's a new news break. You know, I can't take one more thing. You know, it just feels like it's, it starts to pile up. And so we start looking for well, where's the safety? Where's um, somewhere I can rest and belong? And how do I hold this within my practice? And so as Buddhists, we do have the skills. We're, we've actually been training for this moment. Everything we've been practicing this widening of the heart, this ability to hold so much more than we could have before we had these tools and these understandings. We have this uh, incredible path laid out with all these different ways to untangle our moment, untangle the mind and see what's really going on here. Where is the struggle? Where is the contraction? 
where's the opening? Where's the healing? And yet, it's really hard. The 18th century Japanese haiku master, Isa, um, when lost his baby daughter, he wrote the haiku, the dewdrop world is the dewdrop world. And yet, and yet. So there's something about loss, something about when that rug gets pulled out from under us, when we feel like we just can't take one more piece of bad news. It's hard to stay in contact with this very basic truth of impermanence that everything is impermanent. We are impermanent. Everything we hold dear and cherish in this world is impermanent. We know that intellectually, but when it hits us in that personal way, it can be hard to hold. It can be hard to know what to do. It can be pretty confusing. You know, our emotions start to run high. Um, the mind states, they get stronger. We get muddled. It's hard to concentrate, right? Maybe we feel numb. Maybe that's our experience of it. So how can we possibly pay attention? How can we possibly hold it all with our attention? So we easily fall into doubt. We doubt with the practice and with our own capacity. Uh, Roshi Joan Halifax, she says, grief can seem like an unbearable experience. But for those of us who have entered the broken world of loss and sorrow, we realize that in the fractured landscape of grief, we can find the pieces of our life that we ourselves have forgotten. Grief may push us into the hard questions of why. Why do I have to suffer like this? Why can't I get over it? Why did this one have to die? Why? In the tangled web of why, we cannot find the reasons or the words to make sense of our sadness. She's pointing to how we want to rationalize it all. You know, we want to get through it and be done with it. We don't have time for it. Um, we want to fix it. We get into fix it mode or we go into denial mode. Now, for many of you, um, myself included, maybe you came to this practice because of loss and suffering. You might remember what it was like to be searching for something at that time, something to make sense of it all. And then maybe you found the Dharma, or you found some practice, you found something that brought relief. But it started with those questions of why. It started with just being totally um, uh, disoriented in that suffering, in that loss. It was a starting point. I know for myself, that's how I came to the practice. Um, 
I came at a pretty young age and that's because I experienced a lot of suffering. In a really short period of time, I experienced a lot of loss, a lot of death, different types of losses, uh, maybe within a span of two years. And it threw me, it, it crumbled what I thought was my happy life. And so although at the time I didn't have the skills, or at least maybe I had some skills, but I didn't have many skills to deal with all of it. And so there was a bit of a path of destruction that just kind of followed me wherever I was going. But at the same time, I was also searching. I wanted something to explain all of this. I wanted to understand all of this impermanence. Impermanence um, became very clear that things weren't as permanent as I thought. All these people that I loved could also suddenly be gone. And even my own life, the strong sense of my own impermanence, but I couldn't hold it with wisdom. It was just scary. I was just freaked out. And then in time, I found the Dharma. I was really lucky and it was by chance, but I was ready for it because I was in so much pain. And so it was through the practice uh, that I was able to find this refuge. And what was so surprising to me, and I still remember um, the feeling of this, of for so, for, for at least for many years, this searching outside myself, looking for the thing that was going to say, here, Kate, just stand here next to me and everything's going to be okay. That's all I wanted was that, that person or that tradition or whatever it was. And that was not what this was. Instead, the Dharma points inside and says, look within. That your true refuge is not outside of yourself. It's not um, in, in putting all your faith into a deity. It's not about following blindly. It's about looking within you that the answers are within you. And all of that that's swirling around within you, when attended to, when taken in, when it's folded into the practice, when we know how to be with it, it's all pointing to this inner refuge. I just thought that was incredible. And I guess I still do. It's still, um, when I think of it in that way, it just, it fills me up. I can feel that refuge uh, physically in my body, just within my breath and in my bones and the weight of my body on my cushion right now. It's home. Not that it's always together in here. <laughs> It'd be pretty chaotic and neurotic, but now, I know it. I know it. So this loss, the grief, it gives us an opportunity. It's not something we have to patch up and make it look a certain way. It's something that gives us an opportunity to mourn, 
gives us an opportunity to come into contact with this truth of impermanence, to really understand it and know it. When we're experiencing grief, when we are mourning something or someone, it gives us this way of, um, or it gives us permission really to slow down, to look at what is really precious here? What is, um, what is it that I'm valuing and prioritizing? It puts us into contact with the preciousness of our own life. It's something you might try um, as a, a practice here on this retreat with your own breath, just each breath as you're breathing in, even right now, feeling that in-breath like it's your last in-breath and then breathing out like it's your last out-breath. Or better yet, the same thing, different, different uh, lens. Breathe in like it's your first breath that you've ever taken and breathe out like it's your last. Because really it is. If we are living moment to moment, this is it. That precious breath that tells us we're alive, even when it's uncomfortable, even if it's being felt in a way we wish was different. It's still such a precious breath. Grief, when we are not fighting it or falling too uh, deep into depression around it, which can need more support. But uh, when we are able to be in it and, and sink into it and be there with it, it allows us to purge, cry. It allows us uh, to let something go. We don't have the energy when we're grieving to hold it all. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to hold it all. It allows us to let go of these knots inside. It's such a beautiful gift, and yet we often don't have the patience for it. We don't have the patience sometimes for other people's grief. We want them to be done with it already. It's been this amount of time, you know. It's time to move on. It's time to let go. It's time to get back to your life. I understand that. We, it's painful to see somebody grieving. You know, it touches something within us. It's uncomfortable. We're not that comfortable watching people grieve. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do, how to help. Um, they just need our time, patience. To start thinking of grief and loss and as a sacred process not something to be rushed. I was thinking about it the other day is, how would you treat a, a woman who was pregnant? You wouldn't say, okay, come on, hurry up. Let's get this baby out. <laughs> Let's get this going. You know, you would sit her down and say, why don't you 
get off your feet and just rest. I'm going to bring you some food. Just lay back. Take care of yourself. This is a precious time. This is a sacred time. It's the beginning of life and maybe the end of life, if that's what we're grieving. And certainly the ending of something. It's so sacred. There's so much to learn here. Take our time. Bringing um, compassion to our grief is important, that we are engaging the heart. Um, We're engaging the heart and we're engaging the body. It's bodily. Grief is bodily. The mind is muddled. It's not that helpful when we're experiencing deep loss. But the body... um, That's where a lot of information, clearer information is most likely being held. And then when we can apply our compassion to that information, engaging the heart, there can be real healing and movement. It's still gonna have its own timeline but we gain in strength when our heart is able to be available to that grief. And that too is not easy. I know I went through um, more recently, maybe two years ago, a real period of grief. And um, compassion just seemed like, and, and this is, you know, I'm, was teaching at this point. I've been a practitioner for years, sitting long, long retreats. Um, Compassion seemed like the furthest thing from my capability. And I was very present with it. I didn't have to be judgmental about it. It was just like, oh, my heart is so closed. I'm so angry. I'm so um, just not available. I can't be loving towards this. I, you know, so what could I do? What can I do? So I kept staying with that. How can I meet this? How can I meet this? And it was through that questioning of how can I meet this? That um, just, it was like just the slightest opening that said, I do care about it. I, I care about my well-being. That much I can do. It's just, it wasn't love. It was just, yeah, I, I do care about it and about how I'm feeling right now. And it was just this teeny little crack in all that protection, which is often what, what arises. All that dear, all those dear ways that we uh, protect our heart and our mind you know, the old habits, old protection, you know, not up to date, but familiar, thinking it's doing such a good job, but not very useful, right? So there it is, and it's just cracked a little bit. And so I just started to um, feel physically these areas that I felt like they're just for housing this deep pain 
and this loss. So I felt it so heavily in my body, but it was so hard to keep my attention there. <clears throat> my attention, I didn't want to be there. It was, so, it was just too painful or it felt like it would be too painful. So there's fear underneath it, right? And so I just started taking my hands and bringing it to my body and just placing oh, the chest. <sighs> Breathing into these spaces. Allowing for that, just that simple sense of care. I just, I do care. I care for my well-being. I care for my well-being. I care for my well-being. And allowing that crack to very gently in its own time, just from that, that the slightest care, engagement of the heart. And it's so incredible. The heart wants to come out doesn't want to be caged. It wants to um, meet what's there. It wants to be tender. And that's what it felt like. It just slowly melted, slowly. It really did take a long time. <laughs> and it did melt into this incredible tenderness. And that tenderness was there because all of that protecting um, kind of just melted away over time. And so what was left was this availability. It was vulnerable, which can be scary, but it was better than uh, that constricted um, experience of, of protecting around this loss. It was better than the rage and all that um, anxiety and everything that was kind of tangled up in it. So it was, it was vulnerable, but oh, the tenderness was so sweet. And tenderness is, it's, it's just honey to our, uh, our wounds. And so then that's something that uh, began to move more and more towards compassion. Everything began to soften and become more tender. And so I offer that as a possibility. Sometimes compassion, there isn't a direct line. There's nothing wrong with you if that's true. It's just, it needs a little warming up. It needs this tenderizing of the heart. It needs that patience. And then what's so incredible is as it begins to open and you're choosing to have an open heart with your loss instead of choosing to be cut off and shut down and contracted. You know, just that intention alone, um, it creates incredible possibility uh, to be able to not just meet that one particular loss with an openness of heart, but suddenly your capacity to be with um, other people's loss and pain has grown exponentially it's this understanding of the pain in the world it's it's a lot but it doesn't have to be so overwhelming because this expansive tender open heart is not really it's not just within ourselves it's just like anything else it's just part of the fabric of you know, the universe i guess of nature it's just one of the uh, possibilities 
that's available that we get to sit in and experience and express, but it's so much bigger than us. And for me, I find a lot of refuge within that, that the compassion can hold it. I personally don't have to. This sense of self, the I in here, it doesn't need to hold all of that. It can't. It doesn't have that capacity. It's too small. But this open heart does have that capacity. And it's, uh, it's limitless. And I really do believe that. I believe that fully. So this refuge, this true refuge that we're seeking, it helps to be with community where we feel we can really be ourselves and develop our spiritual practice, our minds. It helps to have um, those who have gone before us, all those wise beings, uh, all the way back to the time of the Buddha and before, that we can sit here in a lineage that knows a particular way. The Dharma, the truth of things, all of it though, is right inside of you. And in the end, that really is where this refuge lies. And so however this past year has been with you, however it's sitting in you during this retreat, you don't have to try and get around it. You don't have to spend your time trying to fix it all up throwing everything you've got at it, hoping it's just going to go away, be demolished. Instead, is there some way to fold it in, keep bringing it in to the heart, keep bringing it in with your wisdom? How do I be with this? How do I be with this? And that dharmic answer, that insight, then might just have some space to respond. Why don't we just sit for a couple of minutes, let the words settle.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.